Well, I've called this morning's message Uncomfortable Apathy When Apathy Met Jesus. Now, hear me out here. I know what you are all thinking. You're all thinking, Ollie, why are you addressing apathy in a church building? I mean, surely all the apathetic people didn't even bother to book into church. They're just simply not here. And, uh, well, they might be on YouTube, but the chances are they're flicking through other channels, other videos. Um, They're hardly here. They simply don't care, Ollie. Why are you addressing apathy this morning? Ollie, have you even understood? You see, there are theists. And theists believe that God exists. There's atheists who believe that God doesn't exist. There are agnostics who believe we can't know whether God exists. And then there's apatheists or apathetic people who believe we shouldn't care whether God exists. So, Ollie, what are you doing this morning? (laughs) Well, perhaps there's something to that. But what if things are starting to change? What if things are starting to change? I mean, think about it. Think about why people are so apathetic today. Okay, Apathy, I suppose, in some ways is as old as the world takes us back to Genesis 3. But here's one theory that gets bandied about, about why people are so apathetic here and now in this point in our history. So the argument goes, if you look back to that terrible tragedy in 2001, 9-11, okay, and how we understood what happened then, people will say, you know, what, what happened then was terrorist atrocity because people were religiously fanatical. They were zealous. Zealous. They cared too much about what they said they believed. And so nowadays, if we want to be safe and secure, the way we do that is by all just caring a lot less about stuff. If we want the world to cool down, if we want to be safe and secure, well, I'll care less about what I believe, I'll care less about what you believe, and everything will then be fine. And so the argument goes, that's why people are so apathetic, particularly now. (laughs) But, you know, I wonder whether that's changing, actually, particularly in the light of everything in the last year. Um, I I think people aren't apathetic today, actually, Um, on all sorts of issues. I mean, think about almost a year ago, um, the, the issue with George Floyd in the United States. People were not apathetic about that, were they? Think about even some of the mess that's going on in the royal family at the moment. People don't seem to be apathetic about that. It's either something to do with entitlement or racism or whatever, but no one's saying they don't care. No one's apathetic about it. Go to Clapham Common today. and go and see the sea of flowers for Sarah Everard. See the hashtags bouncing around on social media. No one's apathetic about that. Women should be able to leave their front door without fearing for their life. I think we seem to be at a moment where people are realising that not caring is not helping, is it? And particularly when it comes to big issues, big questions, where we need to get a sense of shared moral certitude. Answers to the big questions. Maybe now, at this moment, is just the moment when people are willing to look at the big God questions. Because apathy isn't leading us to safety and security, is it? So I think we want to look at apathy this morning. I think this is absolutely the right time to talk about it. And I think the Bible has a lot to say on this subject. And so this morning we are going to see what happened when apathy met Jesus. And apathy here 
is Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Jerusalem, the man who will preside over the trial of Jesus. Here's how the scene is set. Come with me to verse 28 of chapter 18, uh, there on page 904. Then they, and this is the Jewish authorities, uh, led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Look at Pilate. (laughs) He's woken up early in the morning, so understandably he's a bit irritated and frustrated. Um, But what's his reply? His reply is, okay, yeah, tell, um, tell me, what has this guy done? Okay, you sort it out, right? Could there be a more disinterested response? I'm a busy man. I've got lots to do. It's early in the morning. I'm not planning on spending my day investigating the evidence around this person. No, you deal with it. Right? Pilate's plan is simple. He plans to ignore Jesus. How quintessentially apathetic. (laughs) But it won't be so easy. It never is when apathy meets Jesus. And so Pilate is brought into this trial And so we're going to see, as apathy meets Jesus, five brief points, all connected to the letter I. I've got a thing about letters at the moment. (laughs) All connected to the letter I. Um, Things that we'll see as apathy meets Jesus. So the first one is here. Apathy, Apathy prefers ignorance to the truth. Apathy prefers ignorance to the truth. Now look, Pilate here, he... I mean, he's asked a question, hasn't he? But he he only wants to bat Jesus away. He doesn't care, does he? He he refuses to care about the truth. And and let's be very clear here. We're not talking about an abstract truth here, are we? We're talking about a person. You sort him out. A man's life here hangs in the balance. And of course, not just any man. And yet he doesn't care. He doesn't care enough to find out the truth. Startling, isn't it? Apathy prefers ignorance to the truth. Apathy prefers not to care about the matter, to prefer to say it's not important. Now again, let me take you back to this time last year. Think about this gentleman, George Floyd, as he senselessly suffocated to death in an act of police brutality. And as all of us watched that on the news, we hoped that that was just one freak, one-off thing. But we know it's a systemic problem in the United States, isn't it? And the people of the nation, this time last year, said we can't be apathetic about this anymore. We have to speak out. As George Floyd's life hung in the balance, no one did anything, did they? It was a gross injustice, and it's rightly been called out. Now, here we are in this text with the Lord Jesus suffering injustice. Now, this is not about issues of race, is it? This is about something else altogether. But nonetheless, a man, 
the Lord Jesus Christ's life hangs in the balance. And does it matter that it's 2,000 years ago in, church, in, in, in history from where we are today? Does that matter? No, it still matters, doesn't it? Injustice always matters. And here's the striking thing. Pilate, the one who can set things right, the judge, what does he do? He abdicates responsibility. He refuses to investigate. He prefers ignorance to the truth. And this is what apathy does. It's wrong, isn't it? Shouldn't there be an outcry at this point? How awful. And yet the startling thing for us this morning is that if we continue to be apathetic to Jesus, if that's where we're at, then we're the kind of people who ignore injustice, who ignore truth, ignore love and kindness. If we ignore the investigation, ignore the wrongful charges against Jesus, well, we're complicit in the greatest miscarriage of justice ever. Wow. And here... Things are only just getting started. While Pilate seeks to ignore Jesus, the Jews say to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Pilate, who's been trying to get away from things, finds out his ignorance is not an uh, an option. He's the only one who can sort this matter out, and so he's dragged into the trial process. Things get serious, and Pilate has to bring Jesus inside. So we see when apathy meets Jesus, apathy prefers ignorance to the truth. What we also see is that when apathy meets Jesus, apathy meets with an intrusion. Apathy meets with an an intrusion. Now say, Ollie, what on earth do you what on earth do you mean by that? Well, look what happens. Look at me at verse thirty-three. So Pilate he he enters his house and he says to Jesus, "Are you the King of the Jews?" Pilate knows he needs to establish the truth he knows he needs to know the facts he knows he needs to ask direct a direct question if jesus is a so-called insurrectionist if he's a rebel leader well let's get his confession out of him it seems like Pilate's probably done this before he knows what he's doing right but jesus response totally catches us off guard doesn't it i mean here's Pilate, the judge who's just been called in <laughs> and he's supposed to be asking the questions but what happens look at verse 34 Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Jesus is supposed to be under the questions and he's asking the questions. People wonder at this point, was Jesus just simply unaware that the trial had started? Was Jesus just want to know what's going on behind Pilate? Is this somehow personal? Either way, what we see here is that though Pilate's supposed to be in the judgment seat, it's Jesus who looks like the judge, isn't it? There's an intrusion here of another judge. Perhaps this is why so many today choose to be apathetic before Jesus, for fear of just this sort of thing happening to us. Could it be, we ask ourselves, that if I try to get my head round Jesus, I'll find him getting his head around me? Could it be that if I read the Bible, it won't be so much me reading the Bible, but the Bible reading me? Jesus appears to intrude here. (laughs) Is this your own question, Pilate? Did someone put you up to it? Do you even care? Pilate's reply is pretty nonchalant, isn't it? Look at verse 35. Am I Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? 
Pilate says, I'm not a Jew, I don't care, come on. Look, let's just get this over and done with. Let's get this finished. But again, look, when apathy meets Jesus, it meets with an intrusion. Pilate asked Jesus, what have you done? And how does Jesus speak? Verse 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And Pilate asks, are you a rebel? Are you an insurrectionist? And Jesus says, I'm a king. I am a king from another place. An intrusion from another place. A king from another realm. Now you think, okay. Well, he's obviously in cloud cuckoo land then, this guy, Jesus. Clearly then we can dismiss him, can't we? Actually, Pilate wouldn't have dismissed this out of hand. It was quite common at the time to understand in, in, in Greek and Roman culture that there was a spiritual realm. You know, the, the, the Greeks at least thought of Zeus and so on, and it was, they were quite happy with this idea that minions could come and go from the spiritual realm. It's not as outrageous as it seems. When apathy meets Jesus, it meets with an intrusion from another realm, a king from another place. And we just go, well, that's totally implausible. But why should it be? I was uh, appointed about, uh, last year to a blog by a Bible skeptic called Bart Ehrman. And he says that he used to think this way. Oh, another reality, a higher reality, a spiritual realm. Totally implausible. Why would you believe that? But he said he changed his mind. And he talks about having a wake-up moment. Let me quote you what he says. I had this duh moment. Um, he says, look, a rock has no way of recognising that an animate object such as a dandelion exists. A dandelion has no way of recognising that a panther exists. Now, it gets a bit tricky. A panther has no way of recognising that a superior intelligence exists. Yes, a panther does recognise in some instinctual sense that there are things out there to look for. But it has no way of realising that there are people who can engineer skyscrapers or split atoms or reconstruct the history of Rome. It's simply not in its purview. It says the problem is we humans always imagine we're the pinnacle of existence. We always thought that if we're the top of all existence, there must be nothing above us. And so we can use our brains to figure everything else that exists. In principle, our brains can figure out everything, he says. He says, look, my revelatory moment showed me with graphic clarity that isn't true who says we're the pinnacle if quartz stones and maple trees and slugs could think they would think they were the pinnacle they wouldn't have the capacity to imagine Stephen Hawkins or Steve Jobs or Frank Lloyd Wright they can't imagine something higher than them so what makes us think we have the capacity to imagine whatever it is that's above us in the pecking order. Frankly, it's just human arrogance and hubris, he says. I'm just saying that the possibility that there really might be orders of existence higher than I can imagine strikes me just now as completely plausible. Why not? Who says I can figure it all out? If superior forms of intelligence and will do exist, I would literally have no way of knowing. And how many different forms and levels could there be? God knows, so to speak. Now, those are the words of a Bible sceptic. And he says, you know, what, what, what's he saying? They're saying, if a panther can't imagine something beyond it, like the internet, 
What makes us think that we can imagine and understand a realm beyond us and say that it doesn't exist? He says, when Jesus makes this claim to be a king from another realm, why do we think we can just dismiss that? It's, it's arrogance. That sort of claim may very well be right. When apathy met Jesus, it met with an intrusion. And we mustn't dismiss it. We mustn't. Do we really know everything about everything? Seems pretty unlikely. Jesus here is a king from another place, and that should unsettle our feathers. <laughs> it should unsettle us if we're apathetic. If we're sitting relaxed right here now, then we're simply not getting this passage. We're not getting it. This is what happens when apathy meets Jesus, a king from another place. Now, it's provo- provocative, isn't it? Jesus certainly does seem to be getting himself into trouble, doesn't he? He is saying he's a king. And Pilate seems to think, well, he's a king, but he's not really in competition with Rome. And so Pilate pushes him harder. Look at verse 37. So you are a king, says Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king? For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I've come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now look at how massive those words from Jesus are, right? Jesus says, I'm a king. I've come from another place. There's something called the truth. I have the truth. And everyone who is in the truth will listen to me. That's huge, isn't it? If you're thinking we live in a world that's lost its grip on the truth, Jesus is saying there's hope. And it's found in me. Jesus says, I can come and bring truth. I was trying to think of an illustration of this. (laughs) This king from another realm. I suppose it's a bit like... I'm afraid they're all political references today. I don't know why. (laughs) It's a bit like Donald Trump saying, you know, he's going to ignore the reality of climate change. And then he bumps into an authority from another place, a representative from the International Accord on Climate Change. They come with an authority from another place and tell the truth. And Jesus is saying that's just the case with him, an authority from another place. And if we listen to him, we can receive the truth. We can recover the truth. We can be people of the truth. Amazing. But look at verse 38. Pilate then said, what is truth? And he walks off. Now again, it might be because the royal family have been in the news a lot recently. I thought, you know, this reminds me of that terrible interview with Prince Charles and Diana. Do you remember? And the journalists say to this couple, say say to Diana, so you're hopelessly in love then? And Diana sort of blushes and says, of course. And then Charles said, oh, yes, whatever love means. Um, and here's Pilate. And Jesus says, I, I, am from the, I am the truth. And Pilate just goes, whatever that is. I mean, gosh, cringe. It's awful, isn't it? No interest in the truth. Jesus' claim may come from another place, but I'm from Rome and, well, I just need him off my plate. It won't be that simple. Look at the third thing we see when apathy meets Jesus. The third thing we see, look, when apathy meets Jesus, apathy requires innovation. How so? Well, look at verse 38. After Pilate had said this to Jesus, he went outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. An insurrectionist. 
So here's Pilate, and he thinks, look, I just want to ignore this bloke. (laughs) I just want him off my plate. And so he has a little plan. He says to the people, look, sometimes I release uh, um, a criminal. So how about this? I've got two insurrectionists here. I've got Jesus. I've got this guy, Barabbas. And one of them I'll beat, and one of them I'll release. You choose. And he thinks to himself, look, the crowd say they want to sort out these rebels and insurrectionists. Well, they're, they're hardly going to vote for Jesus to be killed because then they're letting go a real rebel. And that's just going to make everything worse. He's, it's politics. It's horse trading. He's innovating a solution, isn't he? In order to be apathetic, he must come up with a cunning plan to ignore coming out with a verdict. But actually, it doesn't work, does it? They, they do say, we'll have Barabbas, please kill Jesus and so the deal is dead and, and, and then look he has to try something else and it, it isn't pretty uh, look at 19 verse 1 then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe and they came up to him saying hail king of the Jews and struck him with their hands Pilate went out again and said to them see I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him And so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. See, Pilate has tried trading Jesus, and now he tries beating Jesus. His plan seems to be that this is going to appease the the crowds. Everyone will understand. Jesus will have to think twice before he causes any more trouble. He'll get another beating like this, won't he? So then he thinks, look, they'll see that. They'll see I can just send him away. I don't have to make any verdicts. I can retain my apathy. I can suspend my judgment. I mean, Jesus has been beaten up, but he's, he's not dead. And so I'll bring him out and I'll say, behold the man. I'll say, look, can you see? It's enough, isn't it? It's enough. Okay? Look, he's a, he's a bloody mess, right? Now let it go. Let it go. That's Pilate's innovative plan. Pilate is just scheming again and again and again to avoid making a decision, isn't he? Of course, this is where many get stuck today with their apathy towards Jesus. We're at, they're at the crossroads. We're at the crossroads with Jesus. And if we want to avoid ju- making a judgment then people have to innovate. You know, people have to say, oh, well, okay, I don't know whether he's a son of God or not. Let's just say he's a legend. And then I can suspend my judgment. And then people find out there's masses of historical evidence for the Lord Jesus. Then people innovate again and say, oh, well, Jesus was just mad. So let's just, let's not even bother talking about this son of God stuff. And then they find out that Jesus' moral teaching has changed the world. So people innovate again, don't they? Oh, oh, let's just say Jesus was a good man. And then look, we won't talk about this son of God stuff, king stuff. <laughs> and then they find out that Jesus told his followers to pick up their cross, talked about judgment and so on. You see, when apathy met Jesus, it required innovation and it requires it today still. I mean, you can do it. You can try to dispend judgment. You can try innovating, but you'll be like a person... Um, Standing at a junction. Imagine someone standing at a junction and they're trying to get to London and they find the sign that points to London. And they say, oh, look, um, maybe someone put that there as a practical joke. So I just won't make a decision about this sign. Or maybe they think the local council put it up that way because really they're trying to deter visitors. So I'm not going to follow that sign. 
Do you see what happens to that person stood at the junction? They still haven't arrived at London. They're as, they're as bad as the person who ignored the sign and went left and never got there. They still haven't got there. And that's the case. If we innovate again and again, we'll be at the, stu- at the crossroads and we'll never arrive at the truth. Apathy requires innovation to suspend its judgment. Pretty shocking, isn't it? But in the end, number four, look. When apathy met Jesus, apathy had to confront the inescapable. Apathy had to confront the inescapable. Here's Pilate innovating to let Jesus off and ignore the whole situation. But look at 19 verse 7. What do the, what do the Jews do? The Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. The point here seems to be that Pilate, as a politician, well, he has a healthy respect and a fear of the crowds. You might say today the opinion polls, perhaps. (laughs) But now he's even more afraid. I guess now he's realizing that this mob really, really, really do want Jesus dead and he's standing in the way. But also, he now sees this claim very clearly that Jesus is the son of God. You know, as a Roman, he believed in a pantheon of gods. He lives in Israel where they declare there is one God. And now people are starting to say Jesus is the son of God. And now he's starting to think to himself, have I been this whole time disrespecting a visit of the son of God? The king of heaven and earth. He starts worrying. He starts panicking. He starts being afraid. You can only be apathetic, by the way, if you're not afraid. (laughs) If you feel secure. And now, Pilate's afraid, isn't he? And look at verse 9. So then, it's inescapable for him. He must get to the truth as best he can. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Jesus sits in silence. Jesus won't be compelled to speak. He cannot be compelled to speak. He's the judge, right? He's the judge. As far as Jesus is concerned at this point, everything that needs to be said has been said. And so for Pilate, it's, it's gone past his moment, hasn't it? It's, it's past him by now. But we see very clearly, when apathy meets Jesus, it's inescapable that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. The King of heaven and earth must be examined. It must be. I'm, I'm, Pilate now, he's he's panicking, he's backtracking. Jesus, tell me where you're from. Surely it can't be just Galilee. Come on, tell me, really. It's decision time. It's decision time for him, but but it's gone too far. And Pilate pleads with Jesus while Jesus is silent before him. Pilate says, look, verse 10, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greatest sin. But says, look, why are you not cooperating here, Jesus? I could let you off. I have the authority. And and Jesus' behavior is just startling, isn't it? Who can behave like this in this sort of trial? You only have this authority, he says, because it was given to you. And then he's remarkably compassionate, isn't he? The one who betrayed me is guilty 
of the greater sin. And so Pilate comes away, as many do from Jesus today, totally perplexed. But realizing that there is something unusual about Jesus, that he must set him free. So Pilate decides to try and get Jesus off. When apathy met Jesus, decision time would always be inescapable, and it is for us too. Who is Jesus? It is the most important question in the world. It's inescapable. The question must be answered. And Pilate's little moment here strikes a warning note for us, doesn't it? The question must be answered. But let's see, last thing, number five. When apathy met Jesus, apathy is left in an impossible situation. When apathy met Jesus, apathy is left in an impossible situation. Look at verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, Jesus. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Do you see the dilemma Pilate is in? If he releases Jesus, he makes himself an enemy of Caesar. His life is done for, it's over. You can't stand against the emperor. So he can either decide to free Jesus and give up everything that he's got. Or he can have Jesus killed and keep everything. Will he risk what he has for what is true? It seems to him to be an impossible situation, doesn't it? And many feel like it is an impossible situation. And look at the account, look at the sorrowful ending, verse 16. So when Pilate heard these words, knowing he was cornered, he brought Jesus out, sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Pilate gives up on Jesus in the end. And he gives up on justice. Why? To save himself. And so Pilate is famous for this, for presiding over the worst day in human history when humanity murdered its maker. When apathy meets Jesus... It ends in what feels like an impossible situation. Will I keep my life? Will I keep my stuff? Or will I have Jesus as a king? You realize as soon as you've met him, I can't have it both ways. I I either go with him everywhere or I stay as I am. If he is the king, if he has acted like this, what could he not ask of me? It seems impossible. Here is Jesus then, not easily cleared, not easily traded away, not easily beaten down and forgotten. And here's the question. What if he is to be feared and not condemned? What if he is the truth? What if that is the truth, that he is the king of heaven? And that's where we end when apathy meets Jesus. But as we finish, consider this thought. As Pilate goes home that night, what's he thinking? How's he feeling? Imagine with me, he comes through the door and his other half asks him, how was your day? 
How did it go? Oh, it was awful. He's still shaking at the thought of it. Oh, I had to make some tough choices today. Truth didn't win out. Justice didn't win out. I, I, I let an innocent man get lynched. And what makes it worst of all is that I think he was more than a man. How does he sleep? What does he do with his guilt? Where does he go with his guilt? Pilate gave up on Jesus. He gave up on justice to save himself. But here at this this very moment, we see a startling truth, don't we? That Jesus, in that trial, is the one who was so committed to justice, so committed to compassion and mercy, that he would go through a miscarriage of justice. He would give up his life to save others. The Son of God would enter the world that he had made to take on the death penalty for the murderers who murdered him. He came to take the punishment of all of those complicit in his death. All who have wanted God out of their lives, wanted him dead. Friends, we must recognize that that is us, isn't it? He came and faced this injustice to take our punishment, to save our lives, to take our debt, to take our punishment on the cross. He is the God who pursues us. Here's the startling truth. God is not apathetic about us. How could we ever be apathetic about him? How could we ever be apathetic about one who would do this for you and me? While many say today that they do not care, we notice this morning the staggering truth that God would say he would never say he doesn't care. Never, ever say that. He would rather die before he let that happen. And so he has. For the crowd, for the mob, for the unjust, for us. This is what happened when apathy met Jesus. And the question for us is, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to respond? I can suggest a couple of things uh, at the end here. I, I would suggest just stay connected with Grace Church through Easter. And stay connected to those services. Make the most of those. And can I also encourage you, if you haven't done it, please get in touch with the church about a course we run called Christianity Explored. It's a seven-week course, seven-hour-long sessions. Um, really easy, very relaxed. And it asks three questions. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? And what does it mean for us? I think it would be a great thing to do, to get in touch about that. It's something we love to do, so please do, do grab us. Use the contact form on the website, whatever means you like. As we finish, let's pray. Our Father God, we recognise this morning that we cannot know anything or anyone without commitment. You have to commit to know anything. You have to commit to another in order to know them and love them. We recognize this morning that to know Jesus, to make the decision, 
we must so commit to him to know him. We must care enough to know him before we come to a verdict. And to not do this is to treat him as if he is not a person, to de-person him who came after us. So, Father, I pray for us this morning, and particularly for those who have been apathetic, pray that they would indeed find themselves shaken, but yet nonetheless given courage this morning to pursue a course like Christianity Explored. And, Father, we ask this morning for those of us that are trusting in Christ that we would consider apathy in all matters of life and godliness and discipleship to be unworthy of our Saviour who has called us, our great Lord and King and loving Saviour. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen.